touch you with some faith. We must believe that when we come to you, Lord, that you truly are God, that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth, Lord. There is nothing beyond your control. There's nothing beyond your power, not even something as insignificant as our little prayers, Lord, or our little needs, or the very great vast majority of, of believers standing on this planet today, Lord, that might be calling out to you, that might have a need in their life, or things that they need, Lord. In human bodies, the bodies, they, they, they get old, they wear out. There's things that we, we constantly need, the touch of the healer's hand. Lord, you're the provider, Lord, and you're all the, all the things that you are to your people, Lord. And as we learn more and more about your character, how you're willing to move, how you'll show up, how you'll make a way, and most of it can always testify this morning that it's completely different than any way I'd ever imagined, but you were there. God you are, Lord. We understand, Lord Jesus, that you're very busy. There's a lot of things that someone like you would have to do in the midst of a day, Lord. But yet, with all your royal splendor and all the might and all the holiness and reverence of a person that you are, Lord, you care to take time out of your day to move on our behalf. Lord, that makes us feel very humble this morning, Lord. So unworthy of such divine favor. So unworthy of such amazing grace, Lord. But here we stand this morning, redeemed, restored, healed, delivered, in our right mind, clothed in our right mind, Lord, with you right there beside us, you right there inside of us, Lord. How we love and worship you this morning. What a precious and wonderful friend you are, Lord. We surrender all that we are to you just now, Lord. Lord, let me step aside and go take my chair as it was, and you just come get me when you're done, Father. I pray that you speak to your people, Lord God. I have nothing good about me. There's not any good thought, any ideas that's in me that's good, Lord. All that is good is you. Lord, we come here this morning expecting, Lord, not expecting uh, maybe to hear me say something or, or a thought or an idea, Lord, but we expect to sit in your presence. We expect to, to sit on the edge of our seat, Lord, as your word comes forth and revives our heart, restores our mind, renews our spirit, draws us closer to you, Lord. Now the expectation has been set. We sit at your feet today, Lord. We must believe this by faith. We must believe that we're not just in an ordinary room. We must believe that we're not just an ordinary people. We must believe that we serve an extraordinary supernatural God. And Lord, where two or three are gathered in your name, you promised, Lord. You promised you'd be in our midst. We're gathered here today, Lord. More than two or three gathered in your name, Lord. We come expecting to see a very supernatural God pour out his Holy Ghost in such power and demonstration and manifestation of your spirit. Speak to your people today. Draw us closer and closer and nearer to thee, Lord. How we love you and we adore you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. In your precious and most beautiful and lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> Amen. God bless you this morning. Do you love the Lord? You glad to be one of his? We could take off right then singing, I'm one of them, and I don't take any, any frown, any discouragement, anything you're going through in your life. Say, I ain't discouraged no more. I'm one of his. I know he loves me. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that he loves you? Oh, that will put a smile on your face. He loves me. What's it matter what you're going through? What's it matter how you feel right now? He loves me. 
You think about a, a lot of different, I told you I'm a sucker for romances and things like that. So in a lot of movies or books, you find that most of the time the story ends when they fall in love, when they get married. That's when they close out. But that's just when your life begins, when you realize he loved me and I love him back. And it's not just the end. No, no, no. Now we get to walk together. Now we get to commune and fellowship together. And my life will never be the same. I hope you can testify that this morning. My life will never be the same because I love him and he loves me. Praise the Lord. I want to read just one verse to you this morning before we see that we read this to you. I can't remember if it was Sunday or Wednesday, but I want to, I want to start with this, this one, this one five-letter sentence right here. Mark chapter 4, verse 14. Mark chapter 4, verse 14. God bless each one of you today. I pray the Lord would meet your need today. I know that not one of us here are perfect. If you are, raise your hand. If you're perfect, go ahead and raise your hand. Nobody's raising your hand for the recording audience. We're all humans. We all have things we all need. Not one of us has taken a rapture yet, so each one of us has something we need. Right? That's why you're here this morning. That's why you took time. You got up on a Sunday morning, which could be your day off. You didn't sleep in. You got up. You got dressed. You decided, I want to go somewhere this morning that I might could get some help. I'm not just here to visit. I'm not just here to see friends. I'm not just here to dress up and look nice with my Sunday clothes. I want to step into his presence this morning. And I know that when I step into that presence, whatever I need, he'll meet that need. Chapter Mark chapter 4, verse 14. The sower soweth. The word. You may be seated this morning. And we're in part seven of who is God, where is God, and what is God. Is that right, Brother Matt? Part seven. Okay. Who is God? Where is God? Who is God? What is God? Where is God? I get myself confused. Who is God? What is God? Where is God? And we've started this to be the number seven in this study, in this look, in this sermon, and, and what God is what God has been opening up to our eyes. And, and it's a beautiful thing how that, that we, we've even you know, made that statement a few times about that if we could go back through our mind. And, and I want to keep reminding you of that because this is your approach to God. We want to go back through. If you could go back through your mind, through your memory, through all the things that you think about him, if you could take that things that you've heard, things that you've imagined, things that you've assumed or that you were lied to about him, I'm sure each one of us will say this morning, I've had someone tell me something about God that wasn't true. Anybody can, you've had someone tell you something about your Lord and Savior that was not true. How many would imagine it's probably more than one thing? And you think about how that, how that your subconscious works and, and just in a negative uh, light for you to think about this, Brother Brown told about your subconscious, and I love how that someone as simple as a, with a seventh grade education can tell you something about that unseen world and that place like that where even, like I said recently, theoretical physicists can't really get into it. They can't explain it. But he would tell you have, and each one of us, again, we're all humans this morning. We all have human makeups. We have human psyches. We have human uh, understandings and reasonings. And you get to, it's almost like your life is like a magnet. You walk through and, and in this world and, and people say things to you. And whether you uh, give heed to it at that moment or not, you still grab it. You catch it. And it's almost like you're walking around with all this big armful of things that, that, that will have no benefit to you. Matter of fact, that will hurt you, that will 
will tear you down. And we've shared that with you. Where Brother Ram said that uh, you, you have maybe a conflict with somebody, and and you well, and you, then and you so you have a conflict with somebody, and it was maybe really bad, and you say, well, I forgave them, and and I don't think about it. I'm not thinking about it day by day. But Brother Ram said your subconscious is always thinking about it. So the very next time you run into a problem, it's not well. No, this is like it's the first time. No, it's you just it was zero to sixty in seconds. I'm all over. It. I'm ready. Whoa, that escalated very, very quickly. From went to me, I just bumped into you in the hallway. I'm so sorry. What did you mean to knock me down for? And it just revs up something like that. But it sits there, and your mind's always got that. So in that, even a negative sense, how you would need to be able to, Lord, I lay that down. I surrender that to you. Take it away, Lord. I don't want that in my experience. I don't want it in my character. I don't want it in my walk of the Lord. I want to walk free from the burdens of this life and the things that weigh me down. I don't want that weight to so easily beset me ever again. That's the natural. That's the dark. That's the negative, things like that. But what about even in your approach to God? When you come to him, you must believe that he is God. You must believe that he is real. That's the biggest thing. That's what uh, a lot of folks, they'll become atheists. They don't believe God is real. Then you have differing levels of that through agnostics and, and all these different things where they have, well, he's this, but he's not this. He's this, but he's not this. Then you have your differing aspects on, on the next life of, of is there a hell or is there not a hell? Is there a heaven or is there not a heaven? A lot of folks that in this living this world right now might even outnumber you. Don't even believe there's such thing as a heaven. Don't even believe. They believe that when you die, you're done. You just cease to exist. How would you feel this morning? Because, again, everybody's got to die. Everybody has to die. Unless you take a rapture, everybody will die. And it's on those last few minutes, especially if you've got some time. And, and I say because that's God's mercy, to give you some time there at your deathbed. Because you can easily, you can get hit in the head with a bullet. You can walk out from a car and your life is gone just like that. There's no chance to repent. There's no chance to make things right. But I've watched God in his mercy take people that said there is not a God or they've had another thought or idea or served another way. But in their deathbed, they had moments, minutes maybe hours to come to that heavy gravity of their life and coming to, I know I'm about to end. I'm about to end. And whatever they thought before that point becomes to feel really silly, really stupid. Well, I thought he was this. I thought he was this. No, no, no. I'm getting very, very close to that door. I'm about to have to walk through that door. The things that I thought and imagined are not even true. And many have screamed out on their deathbed, even to their pastors or their priests, laying there, you lied to me. You lied to me. They know they're, they're leaving this life. They're crossing from this dimension into that dimension. And they would have in those few minutes of time to know I was lied to. He's not like that. It's not like that. For example, when Sister Hope had already passed away, Brother Branham went there and he, she shook her. And he, he said, she come back. She said, why'd you call me back? Why'd you call me back? She'd already crossed over. She said, why'd you call me back? And he said, she said, Bill, it's like nothing you could have ever dreamed. It's like nothing you could have ever imagined. How beautiful, how wonderful, how precious of a place that is. Why did you call me back? Why did you call me back? Again, this life is meant to be a testing ground. And in tests, just like in school, you've got to, to be able to pass that test. You must have the right information. To be able to pass a test, you must have the right information. If you're sitting in a geometry class and you've only been taught um, uh, calculus or history or anything of the sorts or physical science or biology, you're going to fail that test. You're going to fail that test. 
Now, you ever had a teacher before in your life in the school that, that they knew maybe you weren't ready for a test and maybe they knew that maybe they hadn't even, just in their own physical sense, had the opportunity to get you prepped for it? That you able to tell you different things that way you'll pass the test? So maybe they would, in their humanity, in their, in their, their just their being a good person or, or just having compassion on you, maybe push the test out a little bit. You ever had that happen? Well, you know we've got a big final exam this day or a big test this day. You walk in, the teacher says, you know, I understand we're probably not all ready yet. Let's just push it back a day. Let's push it back a week. And let's take some time and go back to that information. That way everybody's understanding. And on the you ever, Anybody ever had a teacher do that? Anybody had a teacher do that for you? And then you think, whoo, thank you, Lord. God does the same thing. Think how many times you failed a test. Thank you, brother. Think of how many times you failed a test and he in his kindness and his mercy give you a chance to take it again. There are certain tests I've taken thousands of times and fell on my face thousands of times. But there's times you get stronger. You get stronger. The closer you get to him, the less this world has a hold on you. The closer you get to him, the less this world has a hold on you. Do you love him this morning? So as you... As God takes his word, and I believe that's what he's done for us, even those of us that have been raised in the message, that have been, I've said that myself, I've, it's all I've ever known. I've never been, uh, you know, Sister Denise has been a lot of different things in her life. There's not one person in this room that can, that can match her as far as the different religions she's been in her life. But one day God in his mercy, God in his mercy, saw fit to make a change, fit to make a difference. That is election. That's predestination. If you were to jump in the book of Romans, you, she'd walk away grinning ear from ear. Look how much he loves me. Look how much he loves me. Look what he would be so kind to show this to me about himself. What a good God he is. Do you believe that this morning? What a good God he is. Um, let's turn over, and I think it's Mark chapter. I didn't write that down. Mark chapter 7. <coughs> One more verse to go over, a chapter to go over. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. What a mighty God we serve this morning. And you, you think about, uh, you, you ever seen, uh, maybe you've had a misconception of someone, or uh, I'll share that with you. I had a brother I met just recently that I'd heard a lot about in my life. And, and he, used to, he, he used to live, I used to live not far from where he lives now, and I'd been told a lot of things about him before that were not true. Absolutely were not true, but because I had heard them, I believed them. Not necessarily that I even believed the source that they come from, but you hear something long enough, you start to accept it as fact. Then when I finally met him for myself, that was completely wrong. What I'd been told about him was wrong. Not just in things I heard, but even in my spirit. What I'd been told before was wrong. And you, it's interesting how that you get those things picked up and, and you walk up to a brother you've heard things about before or a sister, you should walk up and put your arms around, I love you, God bless you, no animosity, no, no nothing whatsoever, but you hear things, well, I don't know, what's that person going to, you understand, and that's the same thing with our approach to God. So when you come to him, if you're thinking that, and I've shared that with you in this same study, that, that Brother Ram said, all my life I thought God was mad at me and Jesus hated me. So that was my approach to God. I thought God was mad at me, and Jesus, uh, that God was mad at me, and uh, Jesus, God was mad at me, and Jesus loved me. That's what I, I said it wrong, sorry. That's what I thought. So when I would come to him, I, I thought, well, I don't know who to talk to him. I don't know who to talk to him, but then when you understand that he's the same person, and that everything has been his, his plan and his will to get you, to love you, to woo you, to possess your reins, to be wooed. 
And you think about, we read in the book on Wednesday night from the, uh, the book of Ruth. So many people have a problem with the book of Ruth. They have a problem with the book of Song of Solomon. And they think that, you know, there's been many things said from great theologians or preachers over the years what their thoughts on those books were. But in that, you find a love story that pulls it aside from just, oh, this great creator, he's so far, he's so high above, he's so unattainable, we can't reach, we can't get to him. And in those two books alone, you see someone that can lower himself down to your level, come down to your level, and come right down to the very field you're working in, the very trouble, test, trial, fire you're walking in, and say, you're mine. Wait a minute, who just said that? The creator that spoke there in Genesis 1-1 is the same one that said, I'm his? The same one. The same one. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. When he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you. Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. So you would imagine that in this point that you should be on the edge of your seat thinking, Lord, speak. What are you about to say? When Jesus tells you to listen and get your thinking caps on, get your attention focused, get everything set in order, what must we hear, Lord? Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. Nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. He saith unto them, Are you so without understanding? Also, he just told them to understand. Are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without, outside of your body, just so you're going to catch on, anything that's not inside your body is outside of your body, right? Just anything. So that is anything outside of the skin of your walls is outside of your body. So anything that would come into your body cannot defile you. Pay attention to where he's coming from here now. He said, do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him. Who's telling you this today? This is the Lord Jesus' word speaking. Do you think you can trust him? Do you think he would have a way to understand and describe this to you of what he's telling you? He designed your body. He knows exactly where every molecule, where every fiber of your being is. So if you had the opportunity to jump on the inside of your body right now in a small form, you would see your skin walls, you see the bones, you see the blood, you see all those things. He put every one of them there. Every skin follicle, every hair follicle, because it grows from the inside out. He put them there, each and every one. The Bible says he has every single hair of your head numbered. Every single hair of your head numbered. That he takes your tears and he keeps them in a vial. Your tears. He keeps them in a vial. Satan wants you to think he don't love you. Because, verse 19, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that's what defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, out of the heart, look at that description, that definition, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, 
thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye. That's a weird thing to throw in. An evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, and all these evil things come from within and defile the man. All of these evil things come from within and defile the man. Now, the Bible says that each one of us here, now each person, we have again, I say this a lot because Satan will get you distracted or get you to say, well, this ain't me. No, 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 he's not talking to me. He's not talking to me, no. Everyone in this room is a human. Everyone in this room is a human, male or female, you're a human. That's the way God made you. Now, through the fall of the sin, each one of us were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, come to this world speaking lies. Who here wants to disagree with that scripture? Whoever was taught how to lie. Everybody had your course on how to lie? Two years old, three years old, four years old. No one ever taught you. It was in you because of the fall, because of that curse, because of that old nature, the pig-like nature that has to die, the pig-like nature. And Jesus is telling you from within, out of the heart of men, that's where that comes from. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Because, verse 19, it entereth not into his heart. He's telling you about where, and we shared that with you, where the prophet said that in a man's heart, there's a little compartment where God chooses to live, in that heart. And that's where he's mean, it's his intent, his purpose, his will, is to live there, to rule there, to reign there. All of your beings, you want him to possess your reins. Anybody not want that? You, you don't want, no, Lord, I got this. I, I got this. I don't need you to possess my reins. I can take it myself. I can go the way I want to. I can think the things I want. You see how he said even evil thoughts? I can think the things I want. No, you don't. No, you don't. You were bought with a price. You do not have a right. As a Christian, as a sold-out Holy Ghost to a little believer, you have no rights. You surrendered them to him. A lamb, a sheep, has one thing, one thing. It's wool. And they lay down and willingly let it be sheared off. Willingly. That's the way your life should be, Lord. I got things that need to be sheared off. I'm not yet in your image. I'm not yet perfect because I'm still here. And if I'm still here, then something else needs to be fixed. Lord, what would it be? What would it be, Lord? Show it to me. I surrender my life to you. You see how he's telling you that, that in your natural state, in your natural condition, when you're born that way, that in the, such a simplistic thing, that you're on your own in your own flesh. And on your own, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. In your own body, in your first birth, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. You don't get in the kingdom of heaven by putting your name on a book. You don't become a XYZ, and now you're in the kingdom of heaven. You don't shake the preacher's hand. You don't, uh, you know, none of that nonsense. None of that nonsense. You must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again. You must have the Holy Ghost with fire. Holy, you can't just, well, I got the Holy Ghost. You got the fire? No, well, then you ain't got the Holy Ghost. John said there's one coming after me that's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost with fire. Holy Ghost with fire. Your fruits will always show off on what you are and where you're at. So if your life isn't showing the fire right now, surrender your life to him because he promised it would. He promised it would. We were talking the other day about <coughs> that picture, 1950, that was taken in the Sam Houston Auditorium. Brother, Brother Perry Green was there that night as a young man, and they had, of course, they had the other man that was there taking pictures of it, and they actually had it authenticated by George J. Lacey that that Holy Ghost come in the room, the pillar of fire come in the room, and, and 
Brother Branham made a statement like this. He said, God is such a gentleman. He's so kind. He's so precious that he let me get my picture taken with him. He let me get my picture taken with him. And so many people say, well, that's a picture. No, it ain't a picture of William. That's a picture of a pillar of fire. God in his kindness, God in his mercy. So if you had someone you were a fan of, you had a celebrity or a musician, and you got to have your picture taken with them, you're like, oh, they don't take the picture of me. No, that's silliness. That, that's you're trying to worship man. You've got all that. That's just nonsense. But for the Holy Ghost to take his picture with you, you feel pretty blessed. Would that be, wouldn't, I, I would kind of think that would be very, very special in my house. I'd have that on the wall. I'd have it. Look what they said, Holy Ghost. And even told in the 20th century prophet in an interview, he said, I believe it's the exact same pillar of fire that led the children of Israel through the wilderness. The exact same one. Do you believe that this morning? Do you yourself believe that's the exact same one? He also said it's the exact same one that met Paul on the road to Damascus. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? The, the one in that pillar of fire in that picture is the same one. Do you really believe that? So I'd heard a testimony a lot of my life, but I didn't ever share it until I heard Brother Ram say it. There's a testimony, and, and I've just come across it on tape where Brother Ram himself actually said it. There's a woman laying in a hospital room dying. And she had that picture on her nightstand or whatever it was, one of her family had put it in there just to have of it sitting on the nightstand. And she's praying that night. She is dying. Not, well, she had a sniffle. She had a headache. She had anything you'd get over. Even, well, I just didn't know my, you know, any kind of, you know, kidney out. Nothing like that. Something she was dying. You understand? Final. Done. Over. No done. You know, no, no getting better. No getting better. No even prolonging my life for a few days, for a few weeks, for a few months. She's praying. She said, Lord, I believe that's you in that picture. I believe that's your Holy Ghost that was taken of you. And Brother Brown says she testifies that pillar of fire left the picture, left the picture and covered her whole body from head to toe, swept over her body. She gets up out of the bed and walks out and goes home completely well, completely well. No, it's just a picture. No, it's not. It's God. Not to worship the picture, but the one in the picture. If you really believe he fills all time and space, where is he? Where is he? The same one. Oh, it can't happen like that. That's silly. That's mystical. That's No, no, no. It happened. It happened. Imagine how silly it was, these Egyptians. Yo, wait a minute. We know which way they went. Is that a cloud? Is that a cloud? What's this thing between us? How's the fire moving? How's that big chunk of fire? How's it just stay there? We try to go to the left. It comes over here. We try to go to the right. You know, it's still right. How do we, how is this moving? This isn't possible. You take right back to Moses. First, he, first time he met God, he walks up and there's a bush. He sees it from a far away and he's like, imagine how long you watched. You know, typically it takes 30 minutes to an hour for something to burn up. Maybe he watched two hours. I think he's still burning. And it's not starting to simmer. It's not starting to smoke out. It's still just as on fire as it was then. He comes up, maybe it was hours later, and he walks up the presence of that pillar of fire. You're still burning like that. How is that possible? Then a voice speaks out of that fire. He said, I am the God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I've heard the cries of my people, and I am come down. Moses is going, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. How are you going to do it? I'm going in you. <clears throat> uh, well, I've, I've <clears throat> got this stuttering problem. 
um, I got a limp, I got you know, faking an injury. <laughs> you're, you're, you're doing what? You're doing what? I'm going to go on you. I'm going to go on you. I'm going to go on you. And that's the Old Testament attribute and picture to show you what God has done for your life. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will. Jesus said, greater is he that's in you. That same pillar of fire. If you've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost this morning with fire, if you've received him this morning, if you're opening every door of your heart to him this morning saying, Lord, rule and reign and have control in my life, you are no longer yourself. You are bought with a price. You are his, and his life in you is proving it. His life in you is proving it. Anybody that would have known you for however many years before that, maybe you were in your 30s, maybe in your 50s, 60s, 70s, before you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and people thought, well, I know that person very, very well. I know how they'll react to this situation. I know all the history there, and I know how they maybe would act, or I could predict how they would do something. But then one day something changed, and they said it's almost like someone else took over. They're not the same person I grew up with. They're not the same person that I spent all that time with. They're not acting the same way they did before. What changed? Someone changed. My life is better. My life is better. I like me better following him. I like me better following him. It's not what comes into your mouth. It's not that. It's the things of the world. That's not you're already you're already in that lost condition. You're already in that lost condition. You must have a redeemer, a savior to pull you out of that condition and change you completely. You will not make a rapture half pig, half so you'll sold out Holy Ghost to a believer. Brother Brown made the statement. He said, God does not make halfway Christians. He don't make halfway Christians, but there are a lot of halfway Christians. Which a halfway Christian, a quarter of the way Christian, a 10% of the Christian, or even a 99.9% of a Christian is one of the biggest reproaches the cause of Christ you'll ever find. Well, I would go to church, but that thing's full of hypocrites. That person says they're a believer, and they'll treat you any which way. They'll do anything to you. They'll say anything to you. They hit you in the face. They'll knock you down. All these things. I don't want no part of that. How many times have you heard that in your life? But there's people you've come in contact with, I know that's a Christian. I know, I don't care what happens tomorrow, I don't care what's going on, I know, I can point to a Christian like that. We've, we, we've talked about that, the, the scripture that the Bible says about an unbelieving husband can be saved by a believing wife. And that is scripture. That is thus saith the Lord. Do you believe that this morning? That's thus saith the Lord. By a believing wife can save an unbelieving husband. That is thus saith the Lord. Now, Brother Brown would give a testimony about a woman that had been a Christian that was a Holy Ghost-filled believer, and her husband was not. He was sitting in a bar room one night, and he's sitting there, and these other two guys are saying that Christians aren't real, God's not real, all of that thing is nonsense. He said, no, 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 I'm as drunk as I can be, but I can promise you it's real. How can you do He said, my wife is a Christian. I'm not. My wife is a Christian. I can take you home and prove it to you. They're like, well, let's go. They show up at 3 or 4 in the morning, drunk out of their mind. He said, let's act like we're really drunk. They go in there. They're screaming, hollering. She gets up, make us breakfast. They, she makes the eggs. They grab it and throw it on the floor and just cuss her out and walk outside. They're like, he said, watch how she reacts. She walks in there. She's sweeping up the mess. She's cleaning it up, all the while singing, must Jesus bear the cross alone while all those others go free. No, there's a cross for me. And they, she lived to lead those three men to the Lord that night. By proof that God is real. It's not just in this that to prove this is alive. It's in this that to prove that he's alive. 
Now this right here is his resume. This is the holy word of God. You can take this. Now this won't just go into your mind. It's not meant just to go into your memory, not just to go just to your lips. It's supposed to go here and go right on the fleshy tables of your heart and be rolled across the doorpost, the bedpost, and where all you see is the word of God, and you take that kingdom of God and you put it in you, and you're no longer the same person. No longer the same person. Praise the Lord. Be loving this morning. Amen. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 8, just the next chapter over. Now we've read in Matthew about the, that first time that he multiplied the fish and the loaves, the bread of fish, the, the bread, the loaves of bread and the fish. And he had three fish then and he had five loaves. Can I say it right? Three fish, five loaves the first time. Three fish, five loaves. He fed 5,000 plus the men, women, and children. Then he had 12 baskets left over. Think about that. He multiplied five loaves, three fishes, had fed 5,000 men plus women and children, and then he had 12 baskets left over, which the 12 disciples each used to distribute the fish and the bread. The 12. That was the first time he did that. Now let's look at the second time he does this. Verse 1. In those days, the multitude being very great, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, And I have compassion on the multitude, because they've now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. They were three days without eating. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Look at the question. They are asking the bread of life. Look at that question. Who could do such a thing? Who could do such a thing? Who from whence can a man, whence can a man satisfy these men? Can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? See, he's still a rock in the midst of a weary land. He is still that fountain that follows everywhere you go. He will still make a desert a garden fair. That's the one you serve. That's the one you serve. Let me stop right there and just testify something to you real quick. Met a brother yesterday from Romania through a video call. He's got he's in a church over there and he's he's a very, very poor country. And it was talking about God moving on his behalf and God providing for him and different things like that. And the church that he's in, that for years, for long for so many years, I think there were around thirty five people or so there in Romania. This is a small assembly. And he was telling me that they've had different things over the last few years. People leave, and they're down to 11 people now in this particular church. That the last four people that left, so that would have been 15, and now they're down to 11, they actually left over um, foot washing. They didn't believe that you're to foot wash what you're still with communion. They said that's done, that's old, that's Old Testament, that's all done away with. You don't have to wash feet anymore. So they left. He said the man and his wife left, and I think he had one child, and then he even got his mom who had just been led to the Lord and took her out with him and left, and they're just out, whatever they're doing now. You know, generally your life don't get better when you leave somewhere. How many people you know that left something like that, and they're just doing great now? Most of them become drunks. They become drug addicts. They just come, their lives become the worst they can be. Because you, once you've tasted of that heavenly gift, you know the scripture, once you've tasted of that heavenly gift and walked away, things aren't good for you. Things aren't good for you. But in the midst of all that, <coughs> the brother's married, has three children, and he's going through a really hard time right now. Uh, so his name is Samuel Fit, F-E-I-T, I think that's how you spell his name. Keep him in prayer. 
keep him in prayer. But even in, in the midst of what he's in right now, we were talking about, he said, before I got married, he said, me and my mom were homeless. We were married. For, we was really in a bad shape for a long time. But he said, but God brought us out. God provided for us. And God has done many wonderful supernatural things for them in his walk with the Lord. And he said, I'm in a really tight spot again right now. He said, but I believe God's going to move. God's going to move and make a way. And I was sharing some of those same things with him yesterday. God will make a desert a garden fair. I don't care if you're living in the, what I said earlier, the 12th to 15th world country. The lowest, poorest, so there anything is, we think maybe there's no food anywhere, there's no water anywhere. God is a creator. God is a provider. God will meet and honor his word. He'll do it. He'll meet and honor his word. So they ask him this question, the same one we're talking about right now that lives in your heart, that lives in that brother's heart way across the other side of the world. From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Who can do such a thing? Who can do? This is the second time he'll have done it. You think about that. This will be the second time he's done it. And he's like, did you forget? I just did it for more. I don't understand. Did you forget? Well, just it's been days ago. Aren't you still processing maybe? Isn't your body absorbed all that created fish and bread? You didn't put it into, into blood cells, and it's done made your body better, and that's still in your body you've forgotten already? Have you been guilty of that before? God blessed you with something. God made a way with something. You walk in the next test. Oh, will he do it again? Every time. <coughs> Every time. <coughs> From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them. How many loaves have ye? As if he didn't know. And they said, seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, seven loaves and gave thanks, and break and gave it to his disciples to set before them. The them was the hungry people, the people that were would be fainting if they had to walk away. <coughs> That'd be a tough crowd to preach to. If you're, see, we're all seated right now. Most of us are seated right now. And if you were really, really hungry or really tired of week, you could sit there and you can rest. But what if you're standing here and when it's 110 degrees? Maybe your neighbor don't smell good. Maybe they've been sweating too. Maybe they've been walking through camel manure as well. And you understand that it's not, it's not the most flowery bed of ease we're describing here. And talk of that, you ain't ate in three days. You're so hungry and thirsting for that bread of life, I don't even, I, ain't, I don't care if I eat or die. I'm going to sit right here, and I'm going to sit at his feet. And we walk in here so many times, well, I just, I guess it was a good service. I guess he multiplied his word once again, but it wasn't such a big deal. It's still just the word. Same devil. That's the same one that buffets you. That's the same one that distracts you. That's the same one that makes you sleepy. That's the same one that put all manner of sickness and nonsense on you to keep you from hearing this word. That same devil, he commands the people to sit down and, and on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, gave thanks, and he broke, and gave to his disciples to set before them, the hungry people, and they did set them before the people. And before, they had a few small fishes, and they had a few small fishes. Imagine the guy that, that maybe doesn't like bread as much. Maybe he's a meat guy, and they're like, we're going to pass out all the bread. Oh, man, only bread? That's all you got is bread? Lord, I sure wish we had some meat. Hey, I just found these fishes over here. What a coincidence. I just prayed. I just prayed. I just prayed. 
had a situation like that recently. We're in the middle of a job waiting for uh, all the trades to get done so we can get back onto them. It's a really good paying job, but we're needing some things to fill in, and, and it's just a test. It's just a test that these trades keep dragging out and dragging out and dragging. Where it should have only been three weeks to a month, they're going to be two and a half months easy. Just for dragging and dragging. And I can't get back in to finish my part to get my money for that. So I'm just, Lord, I need some jobs to come in to help supplement. Nothing big. I can't take anything big because I'm obligated to that. So I need some small stuff to come in. And I think it was Monday. Monday, me and Joseph got home about 2.30, 3 o'clock, whatever it was. And I went downstairs and I was praying. So, Lord, we need some work. Within two hours, I received an email for a job to start that week. Within two hours. All I did, I said, Lord, I need some work. Oh, I heard you need some work. The same God, same one that's talking to these right here. <laughs> they had a few small fishes, and he blessed. He blessed and commanded to set them also before them, the hungry people. See, see what he did. He took the few small fishes, and God blessed it. The few small fishes, and God blessed it. Now, if you look in Malachi, I can't remember if it's Malachi or 2, it is, and it's talking about the parable, not the parable, but Jesus talking about robbing God as far as the tithes and the offerings. Now, this is where all of your, I'm sure you got your guards up already, got your fingers in your ears, you don't want to hear about that. That's just the way Satan attacks you. But, and, and so many times you've heard about the curse that comes from it. I've lived under that curse before, I'm not paying my tithes. I've done that. I've lived that. Jesus said that if you'll, if you'll do this, he said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Think about that. Now, I've testified of you myself the times that I've been late on my tithes in years past, that I've been late in my tithes. Whatever it was, almost to the penny, my, my bank account would overdraft to the penny. For whatever reason, it would overdraft to the penny. That's rebu not rebuking the devourer for your sake. So that's the negative part, that, he'll, that if you don't, that he won't rebuke the devourer. But what he will do is he'll take a penny, and it will go so far. Anybody ever seen this in your life? I can't believe I still got money left. I can't believe I still got money left. He's still multiplying. He's still multiplying. I went to buy something. I had $100. I went to buy something. It was $100. I got there, and somehow I've been marked down to $10. I don't understand. So I had $90 left. So I went to buy something else. It was $90. And I went there, and it was marked down to $10. Man, we're starting to see a pattern of a God here that keeps his word. He said, if you'll do this, I'll pour you out a blessing where you won't have room to receive. See, those words are creative. They're creative. And I don't know about you, but I've had many times in my life that I've struggled financially. Many times in my life. Been poor, raised poor, we've been poor, we've, been, we've done well, we've done, it just, it's just a cycle of life. But it's been so, these are creative words. And we talked about those words being on your lip. And you'll be able to take that promise of God and put it into effect in your life. If you do what he says, these things will come to pass. He will bless you. If you don't do what he says, you are not blessed. Do you believe that? You believe that? You're not blessed. But if you do what he says, that will become, I can't believe, I'm still buying things with this $100. It's still going, and it's still going, and it's still going. Brother Matt's prayer today about the offering for the building fund, and we, all of you know the testimony and what God has done through that. You know the testimony. The very first day that we take up an offering, a man, a stranger, walks in and asks for me by name. And he tells me later, I felt like the Spirit led me there that day. A Methodist man said, I felt like the Spirit led me there that day. A Methodist man said, I felt like he led me there that day. And you see what God has done. <laughs> I've been thinking about this. Brother Aaron McGeary there in Phoenix had been renting 
for a while like we were. And we think they were about a year and a half or so. They were in a hotel little conference room, and they were about 1800 a month in rent. I got to thinking about this. And you, it's interesting how you think about how big or small your God is. And this is, this is just me now. So it's my humanness. So you think about how big or small your God is. So we've been paying about uh, anywhere between four to 600 a month for this building here. We started giving more to help with the electric bill trying because they've been such a blessing to us. So we've been trying to give more than what they required just to bless them because this is such, you agree, this is such a blessing to us. You know, we could be meeting in my barn right now. No air conditioning, lots of bugs, lots of flies. You understand, but this is God done this for us. We have bathrooms right there. It's right there. God, this is God. So you think about what God, so, so they moved from, they, they were able to get their own actual church building. They were setting up and tearing down every service like we've been doing for the last two years. They've been doing the same thing they did about a year and a half. And then they were able to get a church building and rent it. I've not talked to him to know the exact number, but I know he was about 1800 a month at the other place. And he said his, his prices, the, the cost, the monthly cost has tripled. That puts it roughly fifty-four dollars to $5,600 a month for a rent on a building for them to have church. Rent on a building to have church. Now, I got to thinking about this. This is silly. I understand this is silly, but we're talking about who God is and what God is. See, I, I thought about what God just give us. And that's what I, it's, a, it's, you know, it's the number, but you know, by the time it's all said and done, we won't pay that number. That'll actually be, you understand, I don't want to release anything online of what, you know, what God has done for us yet just because of their request. But you take what God has done. If, if I was to just guess and say that's worth 100 and a half, in Phoenix, their economy, they would need four times that. Four times that. And I got to thinking, is their God, if he's the same God as my God, is he four times bigger to meet their needs as he was to meet our needs? Is he four times big enough to meet their need and walk up and say, here, it's yours? Is he not the same God? But you put all these things in your mind, well, he's already given us a hundred building I mean you understand but could he do a $600,000 building could he really do you really think God could do that you really think God could do that that he's that kind of a God that he'll provide like that do you really believe he'll keep his word like that see if God be for us what a mighty God we serve and like I said I know that's silly but I put many limitations on God in my life I shared that with you that very first night that Bethany was standing over in the Methodist church. She's telling me when the other folks had stepped out, she said, I, my hope, my prayer is that we will not have to take out a loan to buy this building. Because they've not told us the number yet. She said, my prayer is that we will not have to take out a loan to buy this building. I looked at them like, you're out of your mind. There's no way that we would not have to take out a loan. To, but there's no way. I'm standing in the church looking at her and saying, there's no way. And he's like, I'm right here. I'm the way. I'm the way. I'm right here. I'm the way right here. And we're like, no, he's not that kind of a way. He's this kind of a way. No, he's the only way. He's the only way. God meets his word. God fulfills his word. God vindicates and proves his word. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are always running over and over this earth looking for a chance to prove his word. Will you let him do it in your life? Will you let him prove his word to you? You really believe that? You'll let him prove his word to you that he'll be your healer. That he'll be your healer. That God can heal your body. Sister Denise will tell you a testimony later. Just a month ago, God healed her pancreas, Michelle. 
God healed her pancreas. She'd been months and a month in a hospital, had been struggling with things, all these things. God did that for her. Matt can tell you things God had set him free and delivered him from. I can show you in my body. Sister Vanessa testified that she'd went to a doctor, had bone spurs on her knee through the x-ray. God healed her knee, took the bone spurs away. Same God. It's your God. It's your God. It's your God. He's not weak. He's not worn out. He's not getting tired. He's not ready for this thing to wrap up. Oh, my goodness. Well, they, no, he's right there. He's right there. He's right there. Now, I quoted as we started this prayer this morning for the service that we're two or three are gathered together in his name. See, you believe that this morning? See, these are the words of Jesus, and I like to, I like to qualify it in that way because it's easy for the Satan to say, well, maybe Paul said that. Maybe Elijah said Maybe No, Jesus said, I'll be in your midst. Now, he's not a liar. Do you believe he's a liar this morning? There's two things God can't do. He can't change. He can't lie. He can't change. He can't lie. He can't change. He can't lie. So he said, is there two or three gathered today in his name? Raise your hand if you're gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Count that. How many names? Count that. How many is that this morning? Does it make it bigger? Does it make him a bigger God when more get together? Same God don't matter if it's just two of us sitting in this room believing in God, the supernatural creator walks in. I'm right here. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need this morning? Verse 8, so they did eat. They did eat. They did eat. And they were filled. And they took up of the broken meat, the broken meat. Think about that now. Broken meat that was left seven baskets. There wasn't seven fish brought up. There was not seven, seven bread, not seven fish. This just happened to have some fish in the house. Just happened to have some fish. And now there's seven baskets left over. Now, if you look a real good study, the first time he did it to the second time he did it, it'll set your heart on fire what God does for the Jews and what he's doing for you. It'll set your heart on fire if you see the numbers. Those numbers are not coincidental. The 12 baskets before, seven baskets for you. Took seven breads, loaves through seven church ages for you to bring you to the perfection that you're sitting right now. And now sitting right here in verse 8 of chapter 8, verse 8 of chapter 8, they were filled. They were filled. They were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. Seven baskets baskets left over 4,000 people plus men and women and children women and children so we was over we got to go over um, Thursday night to brother Eric Reek's meetings they had I think they started Wednesday night Thursday night Friday night Saturday morning and Sunday morning and we only got to go to Thursday night service but the brother Tim Barnes was ministering that night and he was talking about when where did David get the rocks where did David get the rocks to take Goliath down at where did he get the rocks he didn't walk up with the rocks on him he didn't walk up with the rocks on him. He didn't walk around. He didn't, you know, just kind of flipping around rocks around his pouch. I got these. We're, we got to look for something. We got, we're, we're looking for something. And I, and I shared that with you. I heard Brother Wayne say about where they're at there in that valley of Elah is not very far at all where Joshua and they took the, the children of Israel and took and they conquered those army and God rained hailstones down from heaven and killed more with the hailstones than they, they Joshua and the army did. So now you have another son of God, years later, walking up the same brook, needing some rocks. Brother Wayne said it like this. He said, can you imagine those rocks that didn't fall before and killed giants before when they come down? They killed giants when they come down there. They're laying on the ground like, pick me, pick me, I'm a giant killer. Pick me, I'm a giant killer. Pick me, I'm a giant killer. Send me, send me, send me. 
He groups down and he grabs five. And the prophet taught us that means grace. Five is the number of grace. G-R-A-C-E. Picks up five smooth stones. How many did he need? How many did it take? What were the other four for? God gives far above. God always gives more than you need. Always gives more than you need. Always gives more than you need. God is such a, a provider. It's not just, man, I'm just barely scratching by. I'm barely, I just barely, oh, just no. God is always more than you need. A good measure, pressed down, shaken, running over. That's how he'll give. So I love that in verse 8. They were filled. They took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. He sent them away. Now, I wanted to skip down. Let's get this right. To um, uh, verse 17. Verse 14. I'm sorry. Verse, four, verse, verse 13. I'm sorry. Get my, sorry. Different Bible. It's, it's a bad thing studying one Bible and going back to that one. Verse 13. Verse 12. Verse 13. And he left them, entering into the ship again. If you're taking notes, that's the majority. 13, 14, 12, 13, 14, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. <coughs> I apologize. Uh, when he left them, and he left them, entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. He left them, entering into the ship, uh, and again, departed to the other side. Now, the disciples, the disciples now, you see that's a tell it says, now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. They forgot to take bread. What a, what a quandary, what a conundrum. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The bread of life is with you, but you forgot to take bread. The provider, the one that grew the tree, that grew the plant, that grew the crop, that grew the animal, all these things, he's right there with you, and you're thinking about, I forgot to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. The leaven. Leaven. If you were to jump back just a couple chapters, he said, In vain do you worship me, teaching for dogmas the commandments of man. Teaching it for doctrine and dogmas and creed, all these things. You're teaching it as if it's true. As if it's true, you're promoting a lie as if it's true, and yet now you are right here when you need to have him proved. You need God to show up and prove that he's God, and if you listen to what that says, you will never see it. But he said, I'm right here. I'm right here. He charged them, saying, take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Why would Herod be a problem? Why would Herod be a problem? Herod, we're letting people worship him. Herod the Tetrarch died. He, these people, he steps up there and they're like, oh, it's a God. It's such a great man. And he didn't stop them and they worshiped him. They didn't stop him. They worshiped him. And he, immediately he was eaten up by some kind of bugs and fell over dead. Immediately. It doesn't say a day later, a week later, a month later. No, that'd be something. Wait a minute. I just called you a God and now you're dead. I need to go look for the real one. I need to look for the real one. See, in the message, Questions and answers. Uh, I'm not sure what year it is. Question and answer on Genesis. It's in the Conduct, Order, and Doctrine book. Brother Ram was telling about those three Hebrew children, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that they had they had made that same you know, that made they they chosen in themselves. They had made they they'd made their stand. They had made their choice. They had decided this is what we'll do no matter what happens. If we die, we die. If we live, praise the Lord. Now, this, this, this statue was a statue of David, of Daniel. This statue was a statue of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar had such, had such faith in what God had done in Daniel that he was letting them worship Daniel. 
Now, they are now told that if you don't worship that statue, if you don't fall down when the timbrit and the, and the cymbal and the harp, when all these are played, then you'll be cast in the furnace of fire, heated seven times hotter. You'll be cast in the furnace of fire, heated seven times hotter, is what he said. Now, where was Daniel when all this was going on? Daniel wasn't dead. Daniel wasn't visiting. He was gone off visiting. Daniel was there. Daniel didn't say a word. Brother Bram said Daniel didn't say a word. They had to make their own choice. They had to stand there and see if the same God that Daniel told about was real. They had their test. He had their test in the den of lions. They now got their test in a furnace heated seven times hotter. And they got their test. He, all he had was a den of lions. That sounds bad, but, but it shows you the same God. It's way much greater than anything you'd ever need. And that, that you think about that heating. If you take fire, the heat of fire, me and Brother Doug was talking about that. I don't know that, where they're at today, but, 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 but they're, they're, you take a, the furnace of fire. He said if it, was, if it was, I think he told me, 500 degrees, 700 degrees, whatever it is, and then you multiply that seven times. So if you do 500 times two, that's, that's 1,000, and keep incrementally raising it up, he said it puts you hotter than the sun. In a small spot, but hotter than the sun. And you would think that the most powerful thing in our galaxy is that sun. Wouldn't you? You would say that that's the most powerful thing. If we got any much closer, we burn up. If we go too many far back, we freeze to death. But the same one that gives us light each day and keeps things moving on this planet, God uses that, and it's his balance to take care of it and provide for you. But it heated hotter than that because Jesus said, heavens and earth will pass away, but my word will never fail you. It will never fail you. Jesus said that. It will never fail you, and he's proved it. And he's proved it, and he's proved it. And you can take in your life and your walk with the Lord and say, Lord, I've seen you show up, not just here, but in all of my life, in my brother's and sister's life, proving you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Same God. Same God. <clears throat> Verse 16, they reason among themselves, saying, it's because we have no bread, that Jesus is charging them and telling them, take heed. And they say, it's because we have no bread. That's what he's kind of, you know, being irritated with us about. Verse 17, it says, and when Jesus knew it, and when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, why reason ye because you have no bread? Perceive you not yet. Perceive ye not yet. Neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? That's a stiff rebuke. He's untold you repeatedly. Do you understand? Pay attention. Listen. Forget about everything else. Listen to what I'm telling you. And now they're over there. They've not seen him do this twice. They've not seen him create twice. And now they're right here in their moment, and they have no bread. And he tells them these things, and because he's telling them how to get God to move, how God will move, how God will come to pass and prove his word. And he says this to them, and they're like, is it because we have no bread? I don't understand. I don't understand what he's saying. He said, I'm the creator. I'm right here. And now he comes at them and says, when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, why reason ye? See, reasoning is an enemy of faith. Reasoning is an enemy of faith. It is a direct enemy. Well, you know, we don't actually have bread. We don't, did you make, we don't actually have bread? You know, last time you were able to take and multiply bread. But now we don't actually have bread. Maybe, maybe we got one loaf. I think that one guy ate it up before he turned it back. So we don't actually have any bread. And he's like, do you not understand who is right here? So now you fast forward about 2,000 years, and a prophet is sitting in the woods one day, and he's thinking about that Mark 11, verse 22. If you say, 
if you say, if you say, if you say, if you say. And the Holy Spirit tells him, he said, that scripture is true just like every other scripture is true. Can you imagine the prophet going, okay, okay, it's true, I got you. And, and, and I, I understand that, that if you know much, if you've listened to many sermons, a lot of people had told Brother Branham over and over and over that over half of Mark 16 was not inspired. They, they told them that. They, a lot of people you run into, oh, well, you're confused. We believe that, I think it was from the 11th chapter or 12th chapter, they tell them that wasn't actually inspired. Somebody added that later. And Brother Bram even tells a testimony of a woman that, that she had been sick, and I've shared that with you before, that she was sick and she was dying. Her son that she had raised up by herself sent him off to a seminary Bible school. And while he was there, he gets a telegram, Mom is dying, come home soon. And while he's packing, uh, very shortly after that, he gets another telegram, she's all fine, don't come. And when he gets to come home a few months later, she, he's like, Mom, you know, what happened? What was going on? Because he was on a train so far away. She said, well, she said, I was actually really sick, told whatever sickness it was. I was dying. She said, and there were some people that stand down on the street corner over here, and they, they preach and they sing down on the street corner, and they come on my house and ask if they could pray for me. And they quoted that scripture. Their pastor read that scripture right there, Mark 16. If you lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. And guess what happened? I recovered. I recovered. And then he says, Mom, oh, Mom, they're such ignorant. They're so ignorant and unlearned. They don't know that in our Bible college, it teaches that that's not inspired. That part of Scripture is not inspired. I don't know how you've been healed before. I don't know how you've been healed. I don't know if, because I know God heals through many different things. But it, I guarantee it was inspired word of God. Whether it was through a God touching you, whether it was this, whether it was this, it was God inspiring something to quicken it, inspiration, quickening, God moving to, to, to quicken it, to bring it alive. God did that. So if you got healed off of that scripture, that tells me that scripture is real, that it is inspired. So she, he told her that. He said they're so ignorant and unlearned, they don't understand that scripture is not actually inspired. She starts screaming. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He's like, Mom, you're acting just like those crazy people. You're acting just like them. What's wrong with you? She said, if God can heal me on an uninspired scripture, what can he do with an inspired scripture? What can he do? Proves it's true. Proves it's true. When Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because you have no bread? Perceive ye not yet? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see you not. Having ears, hear you not. Do you not remember? When I break the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? They said, he asked, this is a question and answer, how many? They said 12. When the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they said seven. And he said unto them, how is it that you do not understand? This is Jesus asking them this. Um, in, in Webster's definition of revelation, and we shared that with you, I can't remember if it was Sunday or Wednesday, where does revelation come from? We shared about the different dimensions and how that, you know, as far as our soul, our heart, our life is pressing to get to there, to where he is. That's what the rapture will be. You won't fly off into space and poof, now the rapture has happened. It's not like that. It's a blending of dimensions. Wherever revelation doesn't, it doesn't originate in this dimension, the fourth dimension. We have time, matter, space, the first three. We live in the fourth. It doesn't originate in this dimension. Revelation originates in that dimension. And that revelation comes to you from that dimension, heaven. The revelation come from heaven? 
you look at me like I'm, like I'm, I'm saying something you've never heard before. Revelation comes from God. Revelation comes from heaven. It's not coming from, Satan will be called something else. That's kind of like a, I, I saw that reasoning or man's understanding, all those different thoughts that Satan will throw up, but it's not a revelation. Revelation comes from there. It comes from there. So it can actually move between dimensions. Think about that. Revelation can move from dimensions. And we share that a lot about what God did in our day, that he had a prophet come along and had the ability to easily look from this realm to that realm. He said that they even did a, they even did a sleep study on Brother Brown. He let them do a sleep study. They was trying to see how he slept and dreamed and all the different things. And they told him after, they told him, they said, you could eat, the way your mind is made, you could dream while you're awake. And he said, that's not a dream. That would be a vision. You don't understand what that is. He said, your conscience said most people that your waking mind's here, your sleeping mind's here, and most people don't remember their dreams because of how far away the, wake, the sleeping mind is from their waking mind. He said, some people are closer and they remember their dreams. And so you understand that even that might be a moving target because there's dreams that you guarantee you've had before and did not remember, but then you've also had dreams you remember so vividly with exquisite detail years later. What made the two dreams different? What made them different? You think about something that God gives. You anybody had a dream from God before that God gave you a dream? You went back and remembered with such detail what it was, but you couldn't remember the one the night before and the night before because you dream every night. That's how you actually get rest. You slip into rapid eye movement, REM sleep cycle, and that's how you actually get rest and you re-recharge. You don't need a full hour. You don't need a full eight hours in that REM cycle to get recharged. You don't need but 20 to 30 minutes and that actual cycle to recharge your spirit, which recharges your soul, your body. Recharge your spirit, which recharge. You think about that. You don't actually need a full eight hours in that cycle to recharge this body. You only need to recharge the spirit because your body doesn't go there. It's your spirit that goes there, gets recharged, comes back and refreshes this body. Whoever has went to sleep and spent 8, 10, 12 hours of sleep woke up more tired than when they went to bed. Maybe you got something you're worried with. Maybe you're struggling with something. I'm at a heavy heart. I go to sleep tired. I wake up tired. And that's in the spirit form. That's not in the body form. The spirit is what quickens and keeps this light, keeps the lights on. The spirit is what keeps the lights on. Do you understand? The spirit leaves. You're comatose. You're laying in a hospital bed. You can be hooked up to all these things, and there might be a blip of brain or whatever it is, but there's no spirit there. The, the life that has left that. You understand? But when that spirit is quickened, that spirit doesn't just uh, reside or live here. That spirit can be moved and be affected from that realm. And what it will do, that spirit that's been affected from that realm will bring this body into subjection. Especially if it's no longer your spirit. Especially. So if you get a spirit in your body from another dimension, now you find this negative or positive. If you take the negative part, someone that's been possessed by a demon. I had a cousin that, would, that was, uh, that was uh, uh, schizophrenic. That there were many times that there was uh, an adopted grandpa, he lost it one day and tears his deck apart. 10 by 12 deck of the front of his part, tears it to pieces. My other cousin had a uh, basketball goal in his dad's shop that was 12 foot to the bottom of it. Not 10 normal, but 12 foot. He tomahawked a garden rake into it this is demonic 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 and compared to light uh, the the sliver of darkness that can do that to a person what could happen if they're completely full of light 
You're like, well, no, that's just something demons do. That's something, no, no, that is the negative. That's the thing that we're trying to get away from. We want that light in us. And when that light comes in, there is no limit to what he can do. No limit to what you can do. You think about, well, you might, well, maybe that's a little bit far-fetched. Maybe that's a little bit too fantastic. Well, I don't know. Maybe you ever had cancer healed. You would think it's fantastic enough. Maybe you had your, your pancreas healed. You would think it's fantastic enough. God did this for me. I'm no longer that no more. God healed her heart. She's no longer that no more. God's healed your body. You're no longer that no more. Well, that's just science fiction. That's just imagination of man. Imagination of man. That one brother asked Brother Branham about the boy that was cross-eyed. He said, I examined him over there. He didn't even make it to you, and his eyes come open. Didn't even make it from there. He said, how did you hypnotize him from right here to over there to make his eyes come open? He said, hypnotize he said if that works why don't you teach it in medical school if hypnotizing will make someone's eyes come open you need to be teaching in medical school he said well then what did it the Lord Jesus you're telling me the man said you're telling me the Lord Jesus can heal that man's eyes from that there to right here he said why not he created the eyeball why not same one oh that's too fantastic that's too far out that's too far fetched your God lives there your God is full of the real. There's no limit to what he can do. You limit the Holy One of Israel. You limit him. Someone who is unlimited and we put limits on them. Ain't that amazing? Someone that's unlimited. So this, this that I wanted to share this with you. It's actually taken from the, the message, I think it's Christ's mystery. No, it's not. It's actually what it is. It is from Christ's mystery. It's not revealed. Brother Ram says the word reveal. Reveal, reveal, reveal. And I've shared that with you. There's many people that come to Brother Ram and says, well, I can't accept revelation. Well, I just can't accept revelation. I just can't accept it. I can't accept it. He said, then how can God ever get to you? If you won't accept revelation, God cannot get to you. Where'd that come from? I don't know. Does it line up with the Word? Then it's God. If it don't line up with the Word, then it's not God. So the word reveal, he says, Webster says, the word reveal is to make known. Make known. Make known, and he says, and especially, make known, especially, Webster says, in divine truth. Make known, especially, in divine truth. That's what revelation means. The revelation, it's Christ's way of making himself known to his church. Christ's way. Christ's way of him making himself known. In the message, looking at the unseen, and I've quoted this to you before. I wanted to read it to you verbatim. 1958, Brother Ram said, when a man once catches that vision, when a man, we have men and women here this morning, so you're all a part of you following that statement, men and women, so you can hold yourself to the same stop this morning as you hear your prophet. If you believe he's your prophet, you can take this because you don't believe your prophet's a liar. You'll sit there and say, I believe this is to be true. When a man once catches that vision of the invisible God, when a man once catches that vision of the invisible God, the Bible says no man has seen God any time, but it's the, the Son, the, the only begotten the Son of the, of the Father. He's the one that declares him. So you understand how to see God, the Spirit, the invisible one that lives in that realm. When you catch that vision, that vision of the invisible God, and you know, you know that he's always present. He's always present. See, this, you, we would... Hopefully by now you understand he's in the room. Hopefully right now your spirit is saying he's here right now. I hope that. 
I hope that, that you, you're under, you understand, because it's easy to sit here and your brother or your sister be, be acutely aware of the presence of the Lord in the room, and they would be moving in that influence and anointing of the Holy Ghost, and you sit right beside him like, what's going on? What's, what's going on? What's, 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 what are they doing? We're just, I'm not feeling the same thing. They are moved in that other dimension. You've caught that vision. The Bible says that without a vision, the people perish. You've caught that vision of the invisible God. And he said, you know that he is always present. We quote that a lot to you where he that comes to God must believe that he is God. You must believe that he is, and I always fill in with God. You must believe that he is God. He fills all time, all space, that he exists everywhere at the same time because God is a spirit. If he's not, he's not God. And I don't just mean the word God as in something you worship because Satan has given us many gods to worship, and many of us sit here have been idol worshipers in our lives before this moment. We are looking to the one true God. We're not going to bow at any other altar, any other creed, dogma, doctrine, idea of man. We're only going to bow before Elohim. You feel that way this morning? Only before Elohim. No other thought, no other idea but before Elohim. When you know that he's always present, not just in this room, but as you drive home, as you go to your house and you change your clothes from church, in your bathroom, in your closet, in your bedroom, in your kitchen, in your hallway, everywhere you go, he's there. Every, when you go to your shop, when you go to the barn, when you're in your car driving somewhere, when you're at work tomorrow, if you imagine you walk into maybe at your school or maybe at your office or something like that, you've got a little tiny closet that you got to go in and get some kind of supplies out. Maybe they have shelves on each side, and it's just enough room to fit your body in. I've been through holes getting in attics before in the spaces that I could only get my body in. You understand that I could only get my body in. We've got a, a lady we worked for years ago that we sprayed insulation in her attic of three different of her, her rental houses. And the last house of the day, and I was pretty tired, but at the end of the day, we get her house and the opening is that wide, about that deep. And it was up in the edge of a closet. And she said, that's how you get in the attic. And I'm like, looking at me, looking at the hole, I'm like, I won't fit. But I got in. I was able to get in. But only I, just enough room for that. I had to go through, I think, three times like that. But God is there. And you think, well, I'm the only one that can fit in here. I'm the only one that can fit. But God is there. He's always present. And that's where Satan gets you. Nobody knows what you're thinking. Nobody, like right now, nobody knows what you're thinking. You're thinking something. Maybe the devil throws something across your mind right now. Your neighbor didn't know what you were thinking. You didn't know, know what you're, maybe you're distracted. Maybe you're thinking about your grocery list. Maybe you're thinking about your job. Maybe you're thinking about your car, having troubles coming to church and maybe going home to church. Maybe you're thinking about God providing your bills for your, all those different things. No one knows what you're thinking. He does right now. Every single thought that passes through your mind, he's right there beside you. And like nobody knew that. You see, when you realize that God is always present, it changes everything about how you do everything. So, if, for example, if the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was standing right beside you every day of your life, and he's sitting there talking to you, and you walk up and you have a conflict with someone, someone goes to say something, and you get, get mad, and you want to chew them out, you want to give them a piece of your mind, and he's standing right there, how will you respond with him standing right there? Now, I just mentioned a situation of things were coming out of your mouth. You know this same one knows your thoughts. So it ain't just, well, I didn't say it. I thought it, but I didn't say it. He's standing right there telling you that your thoughts speak louder in heaven than your words do on earth. It's the same one that's always present. And I tell you these things because each one of us can get, can get caught right there on that thought. Well, wait a minute. If he's, yeah, yeah, I 
see what you're saying. And, and that gets us, each one of us, because we've all had struggles. We've had all, all had times that we thought, well, I didn't really realize until I was by myself and nobody else knew what I was thinking or saying or looking at or reading at or remembering all those different things. But he's right there. And that's where you get your attention living in this world and this life and this realm to where I, I know I did this. I know I thought this. I know I was doing this. I maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have had a heart full of faith. Maybe I shouldn't have been wallowing. Maybe I shouldn't have been wondering, will God actually do this? Maybe I shouldn't have been wondering, will God actually heal me? Will he actually provide? Maybe I shouldn't have been thinking that because God is right there the entire time. See how it changes your perspective? It changes every single thing. It changes everything because he's right there, always present. The prophet is telling you, when you catch that vision, when you catch that vision and know, not just think, not just wonder, not just ponder, not just imagine, but know that you know, that you know, that you know that he's always present. There's something that stabilizes that man's thinking. Stabilizes that man's thinking. It stabilizes his actions. His actions. And in the time of distress and trouble, it'll still make him look upward and above the things that are happening around him because he's looking at the unseen yet by promise. See, there's the key. He promised. He promised. It wasn't just, you know what, I'm going to oh, look, see if I can see in the unseen. The prophet would tell about how the, a gift of a prophet is. He said, imagine you was at a you know, a big circus, something like that, and they got a 10-foot tall fence, and, and maybe you can't, you know, all of us walk up six-foot tall guys, we can't see over the fence. He said, but God gives someone the ability that he can pick them up to see over the fence and tell them what's going on inside that. And let me tell you, come back and I'll tell you about the fruit on the side. Let me tell you what God has for you. Let me tell you what God will do for you. I can see it. It's right there. I can see it. And you're down here holding him up. Okay, I believe you because he said so. I believe you because he said so. The Lord Jesus is the one that made that promise. He said you can look at the unseen because he promised it. So now, each one of us were born in this world. Each one of us were born in this dimension. The only way that you can look into that dimension is through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The only way you can get into the kingdom of God is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The only way you get eternal life is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You're not just born, accepted, creed, whatever. Now I've got eternal life. Well, I accepted Jesus. That's not how it works. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what it teaches. The Holy Ghost is eternal life because it's Christ himself who is eternal life. He is the tree of life. And that's how you get eternal life is letting him come in. And it's not just, well, you know, I, I, I told him to come in my heart. I accepted Jesus, and now I'm going to go on about my day. I'm going to look the exact same way I walked in. No, 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 no. He makes a change. He makes a change. Your worst enemy will see there's a difference now. You're not the same person before. There's something different there. What a mighty God we serve. Do you love him today? What a mighty God we serve. I want to read this to you. He, he said it, it's a revelation. It's a revelation. So you think about, and I've asked you last week, has anyone here ever received a revelation from God in your life? You've received a revelation from heaven, from God, and you know it, that you know it. He said it's a revelation. That revelation is as eternal as God's word is eternal. So now he put something in you that was eternal. He put his thought in you. He put his thought in you. Now, the thought floating around, maybe you've only got one. Maybe you've got two. Maybe you've got a lot of revelation. Maybe God is piling. That's what the brother Ram said. You pray, God, pile word on top of word on top of word. Pile revelation on top of revelation in my life. He's literally transforming you to that side, to that kingdom. And that's what moves you from here to there is God's revelation moving and bringing your life. And it changes you. You take his revelation, that eternal thought, put into your mind. And when that happens, one of your thoughts goes out. 
which is not eternal. He puts an eternal something in your mind, and some eternal, some temporary thing comes out. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm not what I was. Praise the Lord. How wonderful he is. It's as eternal as God's word is eternal. He said, look, but the threefold purpose of God's great mystery is revealed. Listen to this. The threefold purpose of God's great mystery is revealed. God manifested in Christ. Christ manifested in the church in order to redeem the lost Eve back to the original condition in the Garden of Eden. So what does God want from me? How does God want my life to go? How does God want my walk with him to go? He wants to change you from this world to back what Adam lost. And way more, Adam was only got his toes up into the promised land. He only, had, he only knew him as a creator. He only knew him as someone to speak him out. He didn't know him as a healer. He didn't know him as a provider. He only knew God just a little bit. You have been brought back into a relationship and a communion and a fellowship with him greater than Adam ever had. Because, again, the mysteries that have been opened in this day, the seals that have been opened in this day, the, the Bible says many, many times, clearly makes it, it says, that was hid before the foundation of the world. Adam did not live before the foundation of the world. Adam lived on the foundation of this world. These mysteries were hid before then. They're the love secrets to his wife. He said, I love you. I love you. Let's all stand our feet this morning. Do you love him? The only reason we can love him is because he first loved us. It's not something that, well, I'm going to go seeking for God. I'm going to choose him for myself. The only reason you get that choice is because you recognize him looking for you. Do you recognize him looking for you? He wounds you. He loves you. Everything is for you. The Bible says all these things, all things are for your benefit. He will work it out for you this morning. It's amazing what God has produced and provided for this hour. It's for his wife to know that he is real, that he's present, and that he will meet your needs. And in that, you see the simplicity and the attribute of a God that will back up that word. And it's so many easy to get in the mind. And the prophets have probably told us many times about the men of Stasis. And Jesus even made that statement there in Luke 10 about, I thank you, Father, you've hid these things in the eyes of your prudence and will reveal the babes such as you are. We have so many intellectual people say, well, you know, I'm supposed to be babes anyway. I'm supposed to do this. No, I'm supposed to trust him. I'm supposed to trust him simply as a babe. Just as the prophet said that, just as simply as a baby, I trust him.
my God is awesome. Today I am forgiven. His grace is why I'm in 
shame or rising again i bless your name you are my all in all oh when i fall down you pick me up and when i am dry you fill my cup you are my all in all oh god my jesus the lamb of god you're so worthy is your name your name oh jesus oh lamb of god you're so are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Oh, seeking you as a precious jewel, I want the Holy Ghost to rule. You are my all in all. Oh, God, my Jesus, oh, so worthy is your name, your name, Jesus, O Lamb of God, O worthy is your name, O Jesus, O Lamb of God. Father, thank you for showing up here tonight, and I, or this morning, and I just thank you for each and every one that is here, each and every one that is listening, and to everyone that will listen in the near distant future, Lord, just bless them. They were here today for a reason. They listened to this message for a reason. I ask, Lord, that you just bless them in everything that they need, everything that they desire, Lord. You, you know their hearts ask that you just pour your spirit out on them and let them feel that anointing of the Holy Ghost just flow through their body, Lord. And I just thank you for, for what you're going to do. 
with this assembly, the new building, and, and how we're just going to spread like, like a wildfire, Lord. Guys, that you be with each and every one of us as we go about our week, as we as we stay here in fellowship, or whether we go home and, and have to take care of things in our own houses, be with us as we go to work in the morning. Let us take that, that glow, that let us be the light to the world, Lord. Let us just shine your light everywhere that we go in our workplace, in our homes, with with our lost loved ones, whatever the case may be, Lord. Just let them want that joy and peace and, and just happiness that comes from you, Jesus. And I thank you for everything that you're going to do. And I thank you for everyone here, and I thank you for, for what this has done in my life and my family's life. And we just ask all these things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.